When I had left both relationships, I was like, oh my God, I am not putting up with this anymore. So it was a kind of rocket fueled journey to what I now feel that I am very assertive and I have very good boundaries and I tend to live by the motto of Glennon Doyle's, be prepared to disappoint everyone but yourself. Hello and welcome to Behind the Mother Mask. I'm your host, Annie Breen, registered nutritional therapist, master NLP practitioner, and transformational coach for exhausted mums who don't feel enough. My mission with this podcast is to lead with vulnerability by starting to lift the psychological mask you wear each day that protects you and others from the stuff that's hard to explain and talk about. It's about sharing from the middle, not just the open wounds or the healed scabs, but the messy middle. Let's go for honesty over perfection, because I believe when you transform yourself, you automatically transform your relationships and parenting by passing down wisdom, not wounds. So if you're up for that, you definitely don't need to do it alone. I'm here to lead you on what could be the greatest adventure of your life, behind the mother mask, back home to yourself. Hello, I hope you're well. Welcome back to episode 22 of Behind the Mother Mask. I'm your host, Annie Green. So this week, I am joined by the gorgeous and courageous Lucy Wilde. Now, Lucy has agreed to come on the podcast to talk about her domestic abuse journey following the birth of her daughter. And what I will just say is a bit of a warning. Some of the content of the conversation is going to be around abuse, physical, emotional, psychological, gaslighting and sexual abuse as well. So I just wanted to clarify that from the beginning. I am so, so grateful for Lucy coming on. I know that her sharing her story is going to help so many. So Lucy is a birth recovery coach. Her work and passion lies in helping new mums to thrive in body and mind, which I absolutely love. Like me, she's very holistically minded and not just survive. Lucy is a highly experienced postnatal exercise specialist, advanced yoga teacher, baby massage instructor, massage therapist, and matrescence activist, which we touch on a little bit. But I actually will do another episode where I talk about matrescence in more detail. She is mum to Matilda, who was born in 2014, so she's eight now. And Lucy says that she's worked on the body for over 14 years and has a degree in dance. So Lucy bravely shares her domestic abuse journey, and this very much started at the birth of her daughter eight years ago. And that was a very traumatic birth as well, so she does talk about her traumatic birth, and the post-traumatic stress that came after, but also how this period of her life really highlighted to her that she was in an abusive relationship, that her partner of the time 
was not there to be her ally or support her, and in fact, quite the opposite. And we do talk about gaslighting. It's not a term that she was massively aware of at the time, but a lot of the behaviours and what went on, which I have to say... I have a history of working in domestic abuse as well. And just from Lucy's story, kind of creep up on us a bit like the frog in the boiling pot. It's not like these big bang events. They're slow drip fed events that make um, you question your self-worth. And actually, am I going crazy? Is it me? Is it broken? Am I broken? And we very much blame ourselves as mothers. And Lucy articulates this beautifully about how she was in this really fragile state and depleted. And she just had a baby and it was traumatic. And she was having these very unhelpful and abusive comments from her partner, which was almost reinforcing this kind of feeling of lack of self-worth. And we very much go into self-worth and how that thread runs through this story, but also the red flags that Lucy highlights around his behavior and then how patterns can repeat and how she fell into a similar pattern after she left. And then finally, when the body said no, and she became very, very physically ill, and the connection between the emotional and physical, but actually how that was her greatest teacher, her body was her teacher, her pain was her teacher. And that was the big turning point for her to realize that she is worth more than this. I hope you get as much from this conversation as I did. And please share it. It could be someone else's survival guide. Like I said, I'm so grateful for for Lucy sharing this. And one more warning, I do get shot in the head by a Nerf gun at the end because this is real life. And I record this from my dining room and Bonnie is home today. So with that said, let's get into episode 22 with the amazing Lucy Wilde. So hi, Lucy, how are you? Hello, I'm pretty good, thanks. How are you? Yes, I'm good. It's quite dark here today. <laughs> I'm sat in the dark with a ring light on my face. Do you know, it's interesting. I went, the reason that we kind of got connected is I went to this amazing, my friend like kind of holds these little, they're just little gatherings really. And I met Caroline and your friends were Caroline and she messaged me after, yes, lovely, saying you you need to meet Lucy. And it's so interesting how the universe works because for some time I've been kind of wanting to speak to someone who has been through domestic abuse, specifically as a mum and through their kind of postnatal journey. And here you are. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was so lovely because I just started listening to a podcast about two weeks before that and then to hear from Caroline, my dear friend, was like, yes, you say, wow, how the universe works. It's so powerful, isn't it, when you're aligned in this way and um, open to this. But thank you so much for agreeing to come on. And how I'd just like to really start, obviously, I in the intro, I've mentioned some of the content of what we're going to be talking about and give a kind of warning about that. But I'd really love to start with you and what your world looks like today. Who is Lucy? If you could tell us a bit about you and your passion and maybe your kind of outlook on life and if there's some kind of mission that you're committed to through through the amazing work that you do and being a mum. 
Thanks, yeah. So I live in Caversham by the river in Reading, UK, mm-hmm. and I have an eight-year-old daughter called Matilda, and I absolutely love my work. I am a birth recovery coach, and it's my passion to help mums to thrive, not just survive after having children or after becoming mums if they've adopted and so that they feel strong and resilient in mind and body and they don't put up with crap from people uh, and they really acknowledge how amazing they are in this world as the mama and the woman that they are. Um, And I love walking in nature. I love time by myself. I adore my daughter, but I also do, as I say, like time by myself. So I, uh, I also love dancing. Like it's one of my biggest passions. I did my degree in dance and that does come into my work with clients. But yeah, that's a bit about me. It's such valuable work because, you know, it's just when you do become a mum, I think someone said once that we put more kind of planning and prep into our wedding and 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 yeah. also the kind of more practical element of motherhood. But then you're kind of thrown into the the longest trimester, which is not a trimester at all. It is motherhood, you know, and that's the permanent phase. And yeah. so much stuff, Lucy, can come up at that time, can't it? Yeah, so, so much. I mean, it is it is life changing. It's a rite of passage. And as you say, there isn't enough focus of preparation on that and that's something that I want to to change with my work the attention and reverence and respect for this stage of your life yeah a hundred percent I think it you know it's the biggest personal development journey I've been on with no rule book (laughs) but I think what you said is you you said something along the lines of like not tolerating crap and I think that's a big part of motherhood is actually being brave enough to go your own way and trust your intuition. And we tend to disconnect from that sometimes when we're overwhelmed, depleted, tired, and all this kind of stuff is coming up. And mm. I think that that is so, so powerful. It's amazing that you're doing that work. It's so needed. And what I would just say to anyone that's thinking, oh, you know, that might be a little bit self-indulgent. The baby is the priority and all this. It's absolutely not. Like the Mm. thought of women struggling after birth really hits me in in the heart because a lot of it is so unnecessary. So what you're doing is incredible. So go check Lucy out and I'll put all the links to where people can find you in the show notes. Thank you. What I hear quite a lot is, and and I'm included in this, is normally we're kind of passion-led entrepreneurs. We're kind of soul-led, yeah, entrepreneurs. And we're helping people because we have been through something challenging and we've been through kind of hard times and we've learned something about ourselves. And now we want to share that with others. And obviously, you know, I've invited you on today to talk about domestic abuse in your story and your postnatal story. Mm. And I really love to kind of jump into that and how that has really influenced who you are today. And obviously there's a huge middle, messy middle bit that we're, we're going to go into. But I wonder if you're just happy to share some of that backstory, Lucy, that's led to your passion and who you are. Yeah, of course. So I specialised in pregnancy and postnatal work before I became a mum, but my goodness, my passion has skyrocketed since becoming a mum and since my experience with domestic abuse so after I had Matilda having her was was quite an ordeal I had a very traumatic birth experience and 
and then to be thrown into new motherhood with that trauma and a lack of support from my now ex-husband was desperately hard as you can imagine um so we can talk more about it but to just give an outline I wasn't sure to begin with at all like it was that it was abuse you know it was warnings from other people that kind of were concerned for me but there was coercion control and yeah emotional abuse and because I had a ton of patience and a ton of empathy I put up with it for quite a long time before I before I left but yeah it was it was very difficult to to be a new mum sort of traumatized from birth really trying to find my way in that massive change as we've just spoken about and then to have sort of accusations of this that and the other of not doing enough of not earning enough and yeah I I spoke to you about this just before the call but I really do sometimes grieve the motherhood experience that I didn't have because it was so challenging yeah and may I ask what was the relationship like before did it change like dramatically did like true colors kind of get shown after birth do you mind just sharing yeah Yeah, that's fine to ask yeah so it did dramatically change actually when Tilly arrived and you know I I'll say it I'm sure several times through this podcast but I I do and I did empathize with kind of what happened with the change for him with the change for couples that happened um but yeah it did change a lot when Tilly arrived I think it must have been the pressure of becoming a dad and perhaps having a partner quite shell-shocked from being in labour for five days and other complications that that left him to be screaming for help in a way that came across so desperately badly. Um, but it certainly it certainly did change. And, and that's why, I think that's why I was stuck in it for so long. So I was like, it's okay, it's just early parenthood. And But no, we were fine before that. I mean, to be honest, there were... I can see there were red flags before having Tilly. I can go back and think, oh, yeah, that wasn't the nicest response. That wasn't the kindest behaviour. But it really did elevate once little Tills came along. And unfortunately, this is quite a common story. Like I have a background working in domestic abuse and I do not know the statistics and I'm really out of the game in terms of like statistics and terminology and this kind of thing. But I think some of the highest rates is in that postnatal pregnancy phase, Mm -hmm. which is just awful. Like it gives me kind of chills thinking about it. So you went through this traumatic birth experience and you said lasted like five days. Mm -hmm. What was he doing or not doing? And how did you like feel in, in that? How were you feeling so he was he was great during the birth to be honest um it was um it was when we came home with Tilly that problems kind of came up and began um I was I had a c-section so I was quite fragile and um I remember asking him to get my painkillers in the night and he threw back door in a strop and I can still picture it you know just what I just had five days of labor and a massive operation and you've got the cheek to be stroppy um 
And the reason he was stroppy was because he was going on an ultra run a few days. Let's think. I don't know, days or weeks. Yeah, a few weeks after having Tilly, he went off to Chile to do an ultra run. And I realise now, I don't know why I ever said that that was okay, but, you know, he was sleep deprived, probably worrying about this event that he had coming up. So, yeah, had that going on and that's why he was that kind of unkind and impatient towards me. But that was one of the things. And then sort of, yeah, just the, the grumpiness, really, when I was reeling from that birth experience, a real lack of tenderness. And what, what's been really hard to shake off is the pressure to earn more and work more until he was a very tiny baby it was just so desperately inappropriate. It was the last thing I needed. But at the time, I was just like, okay, I'll try and do more. And yeah, it was hideous. Goodness, how many of us, and I know it's the human condition, but how many of us mums feel like we're not enough? Oh, yeah. Oh, so many. Only imagine that that added pressure at that time of sacred kind of healing, transition, bloody trying to figure all this kind of complex emotion that's coming up. You know, I mean, Dr. Oscar Serilek talks about the healing phase and especially around C-section. If we, I call it brewing a baby, but that's probably because of my past love for beer. But growing a baby takes nine months. It takes longer than that, you yeah. know. Yeah. The, the human body is incredible, but we need to honour that recovery as well. Mm. And just to think that that's hard anyway, but for you to have that lack of support and that pressure, how did you, what was the mask you wore Lucy like this podcast is behind the mother mess how did you cope I'm holding your hand with this because I just love you and I think you're so courageous thanks what mask was I wearing I feel like I'm picturing myself sat there when he was talking to me about this like finances and doing more and I just feel like I probably imploded a little bit you know I really took that in I did not show it you know I think because of my self-worth lacking back then I just thought yeah okay no he's right it's true but yeah I can sort of see almost the internal damage being caused by me swallowing my words but I probably didn't even have words you know I was just in such a fragile state really just looking to him to look after me in this early motherhood stage but that wasn't the case it was very damaging I think also it's important just to highlight that when we are depleted and inflamed and in that fragile vulnerable state we do absorb people's actions and words and the energy that is around us don't we like yes. we take it as a fact yes and Obviously, most of the time there's a pre-existing belief of I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But it gets absorbed a hundred times. Like, you know, it's kind of exaggerated, if that's the right word. Yeah. Because we're in a state where we are completely vulnerable. Mm. And, and with that, like, what did that make you believe about yourself? What is the kind of story you were telling yourself from his actions and behaviors and what you were going through in this kind of, oh my goodness, this sacred like transition that is hard, but you deserve so much love and support. Mm. What was I telling myself? Um, 
I think at the time, and you know, this is eight years ago, and I have changed so much, not only in the last three years since I left my husband, but you know, yeah. learning about motherhood and things like that. And I just love the work of Dr. Oscar Serilak, mm. um, you just mentioned there. And it's particularly gorgeous. I find it really moving that that work comes from a man because obviously I had such a difficult experience with uh, a man. So obviously there are men who work in this realm and care, but it's just so touching and lovely. And yeah, he's amazing. Um, sorry, what was the question again? The belief system. So oh, what yeah. you kind of behind the mask, you said you kind of imploded and... yeah. What were you t- what was the story you were telling yourself and what did it make you believe about yourself? Yes, that was it. Sorry. Yeah. So I believed that I I should just be able to sort of put my heart on hold as I cracked on with doing a bit more work and, you know, put Matilda down and that mothering instinct and that huge empathy and feeling towards her would would stop or reduce so that I could crack on with work but it doesn't it was sort all and is all so deeply intertwined so I think because of what we are fed by a society and culture and, and perhaps generations before us there is this idea that is still present today you know that we we should just be able to perhaps pop out a child and crack on with the various duties but of course it's got so much pull on our heart and our brain and I know I'm an empath so it was even more really um and with the birth trauma involved you know still sort of recovering from that but I just felt like I should be able to park motherhood and and teach more and things like that but you know I did I did put up a fight in my own way like he wanted to put Tilly into childcare sooner than I wanted to. I wanted to be a very present parent and be the primary carer and things like that. So I did manage to put up my fight, let's say, um, my opinions, my um, methods about certain things. And I'm really, really pleased that I had the ability to stick with those, but I certainly felt pushed and inferior in my roles as a working mum because I wasn't doing either well, I felt, because of the pressure really so just yeah struggled on with that for, for for a very very long time wow the word should I mean yeah. you know <laughs> it's usually about other people isn't mm-hmm. it it really is and I should be doing this I should be doing that absolutely societal kind of expectations and these kind of narratives and then you've got someone who I'm going to use the word should, but you would expect to be your biggest ally and cheerleader, almost reaffirming, yes, Lucy, you should be able to do all the things. And this common feeling of feeling like we're failing as mums, oh, my God, like that's so soul-destroying. Can I ask then, with looking back, And I want to come back to the self-worth because I think this is probably like a thread that runs through this conversation. I think it's going to help a lot of people to like dig into that a little bit. And I think it's a big part of your journey, isn't it, Lucy, and rebuilding who you are and rediscovering you. But I'd like to just go back on reflection because I think this will help a lot of people who might be in a similar situation and just notice some of the red flags because, and something I just wanted to add here. I know from speaking from women in the past, even who are going through the most horrendous abuse, and there's no hierarchy here, it's all, it's bad. 
um it's to do with you as an individual and how you know um you can't compare it but they wouldn't recognize it as abuse so we're talking about abuse we're talking about psychological abuse we're talking about emotional abuse you know physical all all abuse Mm -hmm. and also what I just wanted to add in is this like power over yeah power over and it's power over what you're physically able to do like you felt a lot of pressure to go and and work and bring an income in and that kind of thing but also power over your thoughts over your beliefs over your spirit and motherhood is a spiritual trans like it Mm. just is a lot of it can't be articulated it's energetic so looking back with the knowledge you have now what were some of the kind of red flags gaslighting so much gaslighting and I didn't actually hear about the term gaslighting until um way way after this I'm just trying to think whether I'd left him by then or not but it was my hairdresser talking about it and I was like oh what's that and it was like that's exactly what I went through um so some of the red flags were just him making a fuss if I had made plans you know I didn't really get to do what I wanted to do for my personal professional no professional was allowed because obviously that was earning money but personally like it was always difficult for me to even have a counseling session or uh to meet up with friends for coffee he would always put barriers up or make out that we needed family time um so to the objections to that and then also him going oh well, what am I going to do while you're out you know to this day in this in this day and age where I am now I would say I would probably want to say I don't give a f what you do but it's up to you I'm going out but back then I was like oh oh um well maybe I won't go out then you know but it was this total lack of um respect for me to do anything that nourished me that filled my cup um another massive red flag and this is again something that sticks in my memory is him shouting at me why aren't you over it about the birth experience oh my god you are kidding sorry no no it's fine um and I've written a poem about this it starts he shouted why aren't you over it that's not going to help you insensitive you can guess the word that rhymes with that but um yeah it's been really really helpful to to channel my feelings and write lots and lots of poems but yeah so that was definitely a red flag and I think probably the yeah the grumpiness you know I've absolutely had my fair share of grumpiness with that relationship yeah and and Oh my goodness, like Gabor Mate talks about the emotional atmosphere. And I know I bring this up quite a lot, but I think it's 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 important in terms of parenting, like children pick up on this, but we do. We pick up on this nonverbal emotional atmosphere, whether someone is with you and in it with you or not. And I think it, you feel like you are walking on eggshells a little yeah. bit with someone's moodiness. Did you feel that way? yeah and it was really really tough you know I'd just say I'd had a day with Tilly and you know when you just sort of want to hand over the baby and have a minute but it would be like all about him and like just he wouldn't want to talk and that was really hard because I'd want to talk to a grown-up after a day and obviously I'd go to like play groups and stuff but yeah definitely definitely get what you're saying there the atmosphere wasn't pleasant 
Yeah. And um, just to clarify gaslighting in case, because, you know, it is a fairly new term. When I worked in domestic abuse, it was around, but it was nowhere near as kind of um, understood and shared as it is today. But gaslighting is a manipulative tactic in which a person to gain power and control over another individual. So basically, they plant the seed of uncertainty in another person's mind. And the self-doubt and constant questioning slowly cause the individual to question their reality. Yeah, that was certainly, certainly happening. And when I found out that term, it was like a light bulb moment, really. And also for a long while after, like it took me a long time to acknowledge that what I went through and was going through was abuse, was coercive. And I think what was a real turning point for me was when I went to see a lady for some Reiki and some healing and she picked up from my body because she was like an energetic reader kind of person she's amazing we're still in touch today and I still do work with her but she said you're in a you're in a controlling and abusive relationship wow yeah and was that the first time someone had actually said that like you'd heard it kind of mirrored back like yeah yeah Yeah, it was because before that I'd, I'd vented to my girlfriends and they'd they'd sort of empathise and said that's not okay and you can come to ours whenever you need that kind of thing but to have it from this lady who clearly just knew so much and was very experienced to pick that up from her hands reading me I was like wow that was a massive seed planted of I'm not in a good place. Holy crap so just to go back before I speak to that point a bit so there was obviously his kind of self-centred behaviour and his way of coping was to prioritize himself and leave you and go out. But then there was also this gaslighting to gain kind of power and control over you. And these just horrible remarks. Yeah. You know, and yeah. kind of planting the seed that you should be recovered now. You should be healed. Like it's you. There's something wrong with you. All the time. I think a lot of people wouldn't recognize like you know you I said before didn't I it's like the frog in the boiling water I hate this analogy it comes up all the time especially when we're talking about burnout but it's not you don't just throw the frog in like it's over time you heat the water up slowly 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 and we don't realize and I think was I speaking to you yesterday Lucy that we want things to be okay and we'll get into this we we're in denial we resist a little bit that this is happening to me mm-hmm. yeah and I was, yeah, was really denying it. What happened then at that turning point, this uh, energetic healer, this Reiki practitioner had told you that you are in an abusive relationship. What happened from that point? I took that on and that was a sort of a big fat seed planted, but I was to a certain degree in denial. But, you know, the cogs were definitely wearing in my mind, like what to do, this is confirming, this is validating. Um, I went to the... GP and had a bit of a breakdown when Tilly was about two and I was trying to leave him when Tilly was two um to be honest but you know at that point we lived in Hove uh Tilly was born in in Brighton and Hove and we decided to move to Reading to make things a bit easier to be closer to our families but um I was I was so unhappy when Tilly was two and as I say went to the doctors had a massive breakdown and he kind of questioned me and 
was supportive and and it came up that there was passive aggressive behavior and controlling and so I was referred for some for some help and this was kind of I I think I kept it secret that it was about like him Mm. I think he just saw me as troubled that I was always the one at fault but there was obviously there was nothing that was his fault yeah um, yeah yeah so what was the kind of breaking away process like what when did that happen and what did that look like um so when I finally when we when we separated yeah when we when we separated I left the family home it was very very difficult Mm -hmm. um but there was a sense of freedom when I when I finally managed to pull myself away because you know I think if he looked at me and perhaps was fragile and said like can we make this work I would have probably tried you know but by that point I'd already suffered too much um but yeah it was it was incredibly hard but there was some freedom um there was definitely, sorry, not some freedom. I definitely felt freer. I felt like I'd moved away from a dark cloud, you know. And and throughout this, we I want to say, like, I'm not trying to take him down. I just want to be truthful in my experience and exposing what can happen when you're unsure of your worth, as I was. Because after separating with my ex-husband, I, I dated a guy who I had known for 14 years, and he turned out to emotionally and physically abuse me. So I kind of jumped from the frying pan into the fire. It was just sort of where I was at back then. And I wanted to also say, like, I know that my ex-husband and I were parenting the best way we could through the challenges. And Matilda has has come out absolutely great and been very resilient. Um, but, yeah, coming back to difficult fella number two before we talk if you are comfortable because you know I'm I'm just led by you with this um how brave and courageous do you want to shine a light that you left and you did that thank you because I know how scary that is and it's going into this kind of unknown and um I also know you know just from working with other women is it can feel very lonely and not everyone has support and that might be because we just don't have people who understand that we don't have those strong kind of bonds and connections or we're ashamed to speak up that we're blaming ourselves our self-worth has got so low it can be a combination it can be complex but I know Lucy that a lot of women do this almost like a lone wolf and to think that you're carrying all of this like a complex emotion and a child and leaving and like you said if he if he was nice at that point which I'm sure he was a very charming guy if he's got any kind of narcissistic qualities and mm-hmm. um, don't want to make presumption assumptions but that you could have almost swung back the other way but you didn't what made you what was that voice what was that inner knowing that made you keep going and putting yourself first I just knew I'd been through too much and I really, really held the wounds of like him shouting at me after birth and the gaslighting and, you know, he would be so mean towards me about spending 
money on something like a yoga workshop like mm-hmm. this is obviously the truth but I spent 30 pounds on a workshop to go up to London and like for continuing professional development for myself and also it fills my cup and he had a go at me for that and so I just knew all these things were just effed up yeah <laughs> and I wasn't yeah. gonna put up with it anymore and if I'm honest like this guy who had been a friend of mine was so supportive to me through my troubled marriage and was like you don't deserve this I knew that sort of him holding my hand as it was it even so desperately toxic I can picture like the hand of a fucking wolf to be honest Mm. helping me out of this um out of the marriage but yeah I can't emphasize how hard it was to you know relocate to a different home where my daughter wasn't always comfortable because it wasn't cozy I didn't have everything straight away um yeah yeah, well I was trying to hold it all together yeah goodness so courageous and then you just touched on that you kind of fell into a another abusive relationship and I'd love to as much as you want to but the patterns that kind of repeat and what what happened through that process what did you kind of learn about yourself what was the kind of breaking point there with that second relationship so he was this got bad quite quickly so we separated um my husband and I in the June and things got very bad quite quickly um I got very 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 ill and that was a sign to me from my body to say you've got to stop this um he was you know, and this is obviously kind of double whammy with someone who I'd known for 14 years and didn't expect to treat me this way. But he was very jealous, very controlling. He would say, um, like, I want to come with you when you go to that class because I want them to know that you're mine. Um, that kind of possessive. Um, he tried to show me the kind of the high life and and it was good for a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um and I now sort of look back and just think, I don't care that you've got loads of money. Again, it's another poem I've written. But yeah, so he kind of, I don't know, seduced me, groomed me. I certainly know that kind of after talking to therapists about it, grooming was definitely uh, the case, I think. And he shouted at me tons, was violent in front of me, um, assaulted me, sexually abused me. And so by late November, when I was, pulled to a halt and bedridden for a week um I couldn't see my daughter for a week obviously I'm with you he was he was so intense and messaging me and he said you're not you're not dying you're just sick and this was the most sick I've ever been in my life like I had to have blood tests and the doctors messaged me to say come in we need to talk to you it was it was bad um but yeah I managed to pull things to a close with him and uh yeah, and I, I just knew that it was too toxic. I, I couldn't put up, you know, after the grumpiness and the anger and the and stuff with my ex-husband, to go to another guy who shouted at me was was just so wrong. My body, as I say, just I'm so grateful that my body gave me the signals. And obviously that you've got the intuition and the voice of her rising. I'm just so grateful that I'm so much more in tune with her now. I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, it's just, like you said, out of the frying pan into the fire and... <laughs> 
you're just trying to be the best human you can be and best mother you're so right and actually if we can just highlight this point about the body the body is our greatest teacher as is pain Mm -hmm. and when the body says no we have to listen like it hears everything the mind feeds it and it reflects that back Mm -hmm. and I I I know it doesn't feel like it at the time but from a lot of people who have shared kind of personal struggle with like physical illness after emotional experiences highly emotional experiences actually they're grateful yeah they're grateful that it was the body that made them check in with themselves and not just the physical health but actually what well, I can't live like this you know this is this is my home my body and it's saying no like was that your experience like did you were you just almost forced to listen that enough is enough yeah yeah, I really was. I remember it so clearly, you know, like I said, I've never been so unwell. And to be in bed at my parents for a week and sweating profusely and and my body kind of showing me that I was in, I mean, it was no doubt the most stressful point of my entire life. I'd been through separating with my husband, family issues, but my family were there at that point, which was great. Um, and then this monster I don't really like to dehumanize people as Brene Brown says it doesn't help us but you know this guy brutalized me so I don't really have any warm feelings as you can imagine but it was it was just yeah this incredible time to learn from my body and since then I've gone so much more gently you know my my health took a knock then for I don't know if it's for good um but yeah, I've been ever so gentle and really listening into my body like never before since that point. I had another episode six months later of being bedridden for a week. And actually, you know, my skin has only just got better recently. And I believe, I know it's a, a bunch of stuff that contributed to my skin problems, but it was definitely like the stress pushing it over and my skin being so sore and problematic. And I'm so grateful to my naturopath for helping me sort it, but it was so painful to have skin problems because it reminded me of all that turmoil. Your skin looks wonderful. And I know that you have struggled and I think, and I've, you know, I've seen that and, you know, that emotion has to get out. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And what we don't express kind of gets repressed in the body. And at some point the skin being the biggest organ of detoxification, ultimately, Mm. you know, it has to get out and it is a message. Our symptoms are messages And I have no doubt that you're just going to continue to get better and better and better because this is what I've seen as well. Like people's people almost transform. I've seen people further down the line where they look different. They just look like different people. You can see it in their like face and their skin and like their energy. So it's just incredible to see your transformation so far. And I feel like for you, this is just the beginning with your mission and your work. And like, oh, my God, I'm excited to hear what's, you know, to think what's ahead for you. I'd love to just talk about self-worth because you mentioned before that your self-worth was really low. And, you know, this is a question that comes up quite a lot is why do we tolerate that kind of behavior? You know, why do we stay? Why do we tolerate it? bloody blah Mm. so and as we've spoken about it creeps up over time 
And most of the time, there is some kind of pre-existing belief that we are not enough, we're not good enough, we're responsible for other people's feelings, all these kind of things that often we carry from childhood, adolescence. And I just would love to hear from you what have been your biggest insights in terms of your learnings through this kind of what is a self-worth journey, right? Yeah. So I think when I when I left when I had left both relationships, I was like, oh my God, I am not putting up with this anymore. So it was a kind of rocket-fueled journey to what I now feel that I am very assertive and I have very good boundaries and I tend to live by the motto of Glennon Doyle's, be prepared to disappoint everyone but yourself. But to go back, I I lacked self-worth as a kid, for sure. Um, I think I've, I think I've always, like before now, just been so much of a people pleaser, like, yeah, no worries, I'll come, I'll come last or you, you go first. And, you know, that comes into parenting as well. Like, say I'm on my period and I need to go gently and, until he wants to bounce around and do something. And I, you know, I'm sad to disappoint her, but I'm like, mommy really needs to rest today. We're going to have a snuggly day or whatever. You know, I do, I am much better at that. But going back to your question about self-worth, I think, I mean, I'm trying to think the furthest I could go back cognitively, like really I can see is maybe at the dinner table, like I've always been with my with my family, like there wasn't any kind of shouting, but being the more timid of the, of the, the family, I would definitely just be like, oh, I can't be bothered to raise my voice, they can all talk and I won't bother raising my point, you know. And that's only subtle, but I realised like self-silencing then bit me in the bum later later in life so yeah I absolutely love that you brought up self-silencing I learned that from Amy who you how do you pronounce her surname Amy Taylor Cabaz right I didn't want to say it wrong yes so I learned that from her some years ago and I know that you've trained with her but I think this kind of this thing of self-silencing is Mm -hmm. is actually behind why I do the podcast because so many people suffer in silence we self-silence we we stomach it we sit on it we suppress it for so many reasons not to rock the boat not mm. to cause any like conflict, confrontation, sometimes for our own self-protection. So how did you find your voice? Because I know like, you know, put, boundaries are putting voice to your self-worth and you just mentioned the word boundaries and you know who you are. And um, mm. how did you find that? I love that you've mentioned Amy Telekabaz because she's phenomenal. Yeah, I am studying with her. Um, how did I find my voice? I don't think it happened before before all of this, you know, three years ago. I just, I refused to stay quiet anymore because I think, so I'm 39 now, so three years ago I would have been 36. So like up until 36, I was just hushing my feelings. And, you know, I'm not going to like insult anyone at the drop of a hat, but, you know, I just am so, like sometimes I'm surprised how assertive and how sort of steady I am not steady you know but it it just came through all the crap that I went through to be honest like with with troubles with my family which I won't go into but you know I now know that I live by my truth I don't need to please anyone um 
when I teach classes now, I, I'll often say to them, you don't need to prove yourself to me. I think you're amazing. You choose when to stop. You choose when to push on, when to carry on. Um, but I just think I I am passionate about exposing the truth about what I have been through, what others have been through. You know, I'll have clients of mine that say, oh, sorry for talking for so long. And I'm like, no, I'm here to hear you. Please don't silence yourself. What you say is valid. And I think too often we will hush ourselves when actually we've got tons and tons of stuff that needs to be heard, needs to be seen, needs to be witnessed. And um, yeah, I'm all is. Yeah. I think that's such an important point and so powerful that, you know, we, we want to be seen, we want to be heard. And you, through your experience and through your work and sharing your story, are automatically giving permission for others to do the same. You're liberating people. And just to hear your own voice, you know, and, and also, you know, how you freed yourself. I asked you how you found your voice. I know, Lucy, that that is not like a one-time magic wand. Oh, look, I'm I'm in my power and I can speak my truth and all this hard stuff comes easy, flows out of me. It's not true at all. It is a journey. And I think, you know, from when you actually broke free and then you broke free again and then you learn from your body, there's, there's I always say there's not one magic bullet. Luckily, there's hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds of light bulbs, of realizations, of people, of people come into your life, things that people say, quotes, classes that over time just help you build that sense of identity and worth. And then obviously in doing that, we're able to put boundaries in place because you can't really boundary what you don't know. Mm, mm. And, and I heard the phrase the other day, because people pleasing is huge. It's so deeply entrenched. Mm. I can hear Bonnie. Is obliger rebellion and yeah. you're the same age as me right and I'm hearing this a lot from it's almost like we, I'm nearly 40 that's when like the hello bunny do not shoot me with that nerf gun um the, <laughs> middle, the middle finger yeah comes up right and, yeah. and I get the impression from you that you can roar but you're a peaceful kind of rebel you're a very kind gentle yeah but you're assertive as well and it's like say yeah. what you mean but don't say it mean yeah. but I am seeing this kind of wave of women our age who back then might have been people pleasers find ourselves find our soul and almost rebel and then actually it's quite fun putting boundaries and it's not about dividing or separation or like you know saying no all the time I think it's building bridges to have more meaningful relationships rooted in respect and that what you said feeling seen and heard and validated and ultimately that is like healing in itself so I'm so grateful that you've shared this like I just know that it's going to plant so many seeds for other people what I would just love to ask you you've mentioned quite a few things that you do and you've done around yoga dance writing poems the kind of journaling aspect of it but what have been your three kind of greatest resources that have enabled you to kind of continue to build your self-worth and have that relationship with yourself they could be beliefs or mindsets or practical things that you do um I would say kindness man so so much I come back to radical radical kindness when there's some kind of signal of something's a bit too much or you know I have to cancel something whatever it might be 
yeah, it's one of the pillars that Amy Taylor-Kabaz works on um, in what she does. And, and that's been profound. And, you know, I suppose before I, before I started working with Amy, I think being flawed by illness and gradually coming back out into the world and, and feeling stronger, because I, I was very weak when I got out of bed after several days. Um, I have gone kindly and gently from that point, as I kind of said. So kindness is one nature I find really restorative like I love 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 getting out for a long walk in nature either by myself or with a willing child hopefully <laughs> doesn't always want to go on a walk can I say something on that look at me putting my hand up that's not very oblige a rebellion when we don't sometimes feel like we have we're getting mothered in the way that we mother others mm. I do go to nature mother nature amazing yeah because I feel like it's mothering the mother like the closer that we live in alignment with nature and we respect nature and we connect with nature I think our true wild kind of comes out do you find that yeah I love that no I love that what you just said yeah about the kind of the wild yeah it is yeah that's gorgeous isn't it to think about mother nature and I do feel really held when I go out into the country and and see the fields and the trees and the leaves and squish in the mud. So yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. So it's so right. kind radical kindness in nature. Yeah. And then I when I feel a bit down or fed up or kind of revisited by tricky memories, and I I think to myself, I have survived a lot and I will again. You know, I can have knocks that Years ago might have affected me more, but now I have clearly built my resilience um, and I know I can, yeah, survive, survive more. That is incredible. And your story will become someone else's survival guide. Oh, that's so amazing to know. It is. It's incredible. And on that, if there is someone listening who can relate to your story, so perhaps they've had a, a similar situation in the past and they're out of it but they haven't actually ever had the opportunity to talk about the trauma or the experience of maybe they've not seen it as trauma or abuse, or maybe there is someone in this situation and they didn't realize until they've heard you speak, oh yeah, I'm in an abusive relationship. What would you want them to know? What would you want to say to them? It is not in your head and that your needs matter. Wow, that is so powerful. And I would just echo reach out reach out even if you don't want any advice just want to talk reach out I'm sure Lucy yeah. Me. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely they can message me or yeah and last and final question which I ask everyone before I get shot in the head by a nerf gun why do you think so many mums wear a mask and suffer in silence I think because so many women before us and still do self-silence it can be, as you touched on before, you know, breaking the norm and rocking the boat can be deeply uncomfortable because we've grown up perhaps with good girl behaviour being <laughs> praised. Um, oh yeah. And I think I have certainly rocked and destroyed a couple of boats. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we're uncomfortable being perceived as weak as well because we're all trying to be superwoman, but I've let go of the cape, you know, not bothered because I'd like to stay well (laughs) yeah and you said something to me that I touched on earlier that we resist we're in denial a little bit because we don't want to believe that we're Mm. in this situation this happens to other people not me Mm. 
Mm, yeah. And I can't, I said this to you on our call yesterday, perhaps, but like I, I am such a hopeless romantic and I never imagined that I would divorce. I never imagined that the kind of stuff that has happened to me has. And I think that's why I was in denial um, for a while. But yeah, I acknowledge it and I've grown from it. Um, but yeah, please do reach out if you feel like you relate to what I've said and what we've been talking about. Thank you so much. Honestly, I can't tell you how much value, how valuable this has been and will be to others. I'm so grateful. And I know it's not easy. Where I'm going to put where people can find you, actually. And uh, we've not talked about the dance or the yoga or the journaling, but people can go follow you because you do talk about that on your account and through your website. So I will put all that there. And um, I just want to say a big, big thank you, Lucy. I'm so grateful um, for your time and sharing your story. And thank you so, so much for holding space and for having me talk about this and to have me on your podcast. So I'm really, really grateful and thank you too. Thank you so much. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Lucy. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And like I said, I'm so grateful for you sharing your story. I know that it's going to empower and help so many people. What I will just say is if this resonates with you and you've either been in this situation or are in this situation, do reach out to Lucy or myself if you just want to vocalize that and talk about it and actually give yourself a voice Um, and maybe you would like some support with this as well moving forward. I am a coach, I work one-to-one and I work with energy identity and unresolved trauma and obviously Lucy has her experience as well so just know that we are here. What I would also just like to say and um, goodness I always get cross when I try and find this but there are national helplines. So depending on where you are, there are helplines. So England's domestic abuse line is 0808 247 and then it's different to Northern Ireland and Scotland as well. So I'm going to pop the link in the show notes that so that you know there are helplines there if you needed to call someone. Please don't suffer in silence is really the message from us. So with that said, I would love to hear from you. What resonated? What was your biggest take home? Maybe um, there is someone that you're thinking of that could benefit from listening to this or maybe by just sharing it, you never know who it will reach. So please do share. I will be back next week with another episode of Behind the Mother Musk and I hope you have a really great week. If you don't, please reach out. You are only human. Okay, with that, have a good week and I will be back next week with another episode. Take care.